Okay, here we go. No Up Radio. Hope Club Podcast. Going to wrap up our little series today. We're talking about what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it look like? What does my life in Christ look like? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus, then your life is in Him and His life is in you. And uh, the issue is spiritual growth. Oh yeah, to grow up. To grow up spiritually. And that growth, you know what it looks like? It looks like love. And by the way, when I talk about love, I'm, I'm not talking about sentimental love. I'm talking about God's divine love. But there's one thing we need to understand. Righteousness surpasses love. Love is important. But righteousness is what keeps us out of hell, not love. Righteousness. The righteousness imparted to us by Christ at the moment of believing. Maybe we'll go that way next time. Take a look at what is true righteousness. So we talked in this series about receiving God's love. That's where it begins. And then loving God back, sharing God's love with others. And I want to end the series talking about loving each other in worship in the church. I don't mean by worship in the church. I mean in the church. Because, you know, the church is like a family and sometimes families are dysfunctional. So is the church. We're all flawed. So we need to Revisit, I would say, what it means to love each other in the church, how important that is. We know that we're called to love people in the world, okay? That's the Great Commission. We love them by sharing Christ with them, giving them the good news gospel. But, you know, it's not just for the world. It's also for the family of God, all right? And this is all part of our spiritual growth. So let me begin with this. Many of you that are listening, and many that are in your church, in my church too, some were born in the 1990s, the 1980s, the 1970s, the 1960s, 1950s, 1940s, even the 1930s, maybe. So you could say that many churches are multi-generational, okay? We've got people of all ages, in most churches. I know some churches, they're more either have an older clientele or a young, younger clientele. But I think most churches have a good mixed uh, generational clientele. And I'm sure you've noticed that there are distinctions in the generations, right? There's no denying that. If we look at the automobiles that we drove in the 30s, very different from the 40s, most people like the cars from the 1950s. And um, 1960s, I had a 1970 Mustang right out of the factory. Oh, I like that car. Cost me $3,100, brand new, 1970. (laughs) What a difference now, huh? You can't even buy a used one for that, right? But that's where they were. And then we get to 2000, 2010, 2020, and they're getting very sleek, and they're getting very expensive. From $3,000 in 1970 to $33,000. In, in 2020. Wow. Think about that. 
So that's automobiles. We notice a difference in in clothing, in styles. People dress differently in every generation. Uh, the 30s and 40s and 50s, they dress one way. Remember, ladies, the beehive hairdo? How many remember that? It was like a big beehive sitting on your head. And then we get to the 60s, and people were wearing tie-dyed T-shirts and scarfs around their head and this and that and the other thing. And then we move on, and now here we are in the 2024, and men look like girls and girls look like men. What's going on there? I don't know. So, so many differences in our generations. And that's why we have to understand that if your church is generational, everybody likes their generation, right? I like my generation. Older folks like their generation. Younger folks might like their generation. I know the music that I grew up with, I would say it's the best. And I think, you know what? Most people would probably agree with that. It was good music in those days. But everybody wants their generation to be the to- the dominant generation in the church. You know, the older folks, they just want to do hymns. The younger folks, they just want to rock out. And then there's those in the middle. So there's a phrase that's gaining popularity these days. It's called the church at risk. And the church is at risk because it needs an influx of younger people. If it doesn't have an influx of younger people, the church will retire when the pastor does. I want to give you four startling facts. Number one, and they're not good facts either. Number one, weekend attendance has stayed the same since 1990. Wow. What was that? That was like 10, 20, almost 30 years ago. Attendance has stayed the same. Many people are coming, but many people are dropping out. Number two, the younger generation is the least likely to attend church. The younger generation. Many of them don't find it relevant. Thirdly, established churches are declining by 1% to 2% a year. Wow. And fourthly, more than two-thirds of high schools will drop out of church before their 22nd birthday. So, we need to be honest about our churches, we need to be humble, and we need to see, okay, what do I need to do to continue to make my church relevant, appealing, and show people that it is, it is the house of truth? Because that's what people, that's why people go to church. They go to find truth. So I want to speak today about reaching out to others through worship, using worship as, as that which kind of, we know it, it's directed toward God. And I'm going to talk about that. But worship is also something that people identify with based on where they are in life. Okay? But the first thing about worship, it's inherently theological. It is about God more than style. I'll be honest with you. I like the words of the old hymns. I'm not crazy about the melodies. And many of the keys are too high to sing. But there's a theology lesson in the old hymns. Now, today we have contemporary worship, and I like a lot of the music, but I don't like the words. I don't like them. I think they're anemic. 
and they're not, they lack the theology that the old hymns have. So we have to remember, when we sing, we're singing about God, who He is, and what He has done. And we are, we are made mindful of His attributes. Um, some of the songs that we sing here, Everlasting God, now that's a contemporary song, Everlasting God by Lincoln Brewster. Jesus Messiah, I love that song by Chris Tomlin. He is our Messiah. We even sing, you know, Amazing Grace. Come on, that that thing will never go out of style. Amazing Grace, it saved a wretch like me. Uh, we sing a song, Love Lifted Me. And the songs about the attributes of God are the best songs to sing. Because that's what worship is about. It's about God. It's to God, and it's for God. So in worship, you know what we're doing? We're gladly responding to God because of his redemptive work through Jesus Christ. That's why. He has done something for us that we could not do for ourselves, and he did it through his Son, the Lord Jesus. And so we're responding to him in worship. So worship goes from the creature to the creator. Now, there's a scene where Jesus talked about worship in John chapter 4. And Jesus met a woman at a well in Samaria. And he had a discussion about her personal life. And he told her things that he would never know if he were not divine. But being God, he knew all things. And she said to Jesus, hmm, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then they began to discuss worship. And in verse 20, she said, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people, speaking about the Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So what she's doing, she magnified the place of worship. But then Jesus said to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in the mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. It means that God used the Hebrews to bring the gospel to the world. That was the plan. Christ was Jewish. He was the Savior of the world. But Jesus said, worship is theological. It's knowing God. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. So worship must have theology in it in order for it to be worship. Singing a song in church doesn't make it worship. The theology of the song makes it worship. And I think we really need to be selective in the songs that we sing. And again, we're talking about multi-generational congregations and allowing the, the words of the songs to minister to the hearts rather than the people, rather than the music. But the words, the words are that which grip the heart. The music doesn't grip the heart. The words grip the heart. Okay? So Jesus said, an hour is coming, and, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father, here it comes, 
in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. So think of it. The Father seeks worshipers. He does. Now we know that worship goes on in heaven. And the myriads of angels give worship to God. And when we get there, oh man, we're going to be part of that number. Oh, when the saints go marching in, (laughs) we're going to be, ah, Lord, I want to be in that number. I want to be part of that worship that's going on in heaven. But right now, the church is the place that we worship. And how is it we worship? Not through decibels. But Jesus said in verse 24, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The spirit means I've got the Holy Spirit in me, which is my connection to God. And truth is the theology about God. That's the format for worship. Filled with the Holy Spirit and a theological understanding of who God is. And I believe that can that can, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Transgress? I don't know. Is it transgress? It can cover all generations. That's what it takes to cover all generations in church. So worship is based on two things. Number one, the indwelling spirit. And number two, proper theology. And I really believe the more theological a song is, the more it glorifies God. Some songs today, the music's okay, but the theology is like, Where? Where is it? Where's the theology? There isn't any. It's very fleshly. And we've got to be careful that we always sing to God, for God, and about God. So only a born-again believer can truly worship God because that person has the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, worship is also personal. In Genesis chapter 22, God told Abraham to take his only son, Isaac, and go up and offer him on Mount Moriah. And Abraham prepared everything that was needed. He gathered his supplies, he gathered the wood, he got the servants together, and he began his three-day journey to the mountain. In verse 4 of Genesis 22, on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes, and he saw the place from a distance, the place that God had called him to, to worship him. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. And again, what does worship mean? They go in and sing songs? No. They go in and pay homage to God. They go in and reverence God, revere God. That's why I always say that worship in church is not drive time. I always say that. Don't think, oh, we're not late, they're just singing. There's no such thing as just singing in the church. That's God's time. See, during the worship service, we give to God. And then during the message, He gives to us. But you don't want to go to church and be a taker. You want to be a giver. So you give God the worship that is due Him. And the best thing to do is get there five minutes before the worship begins. You know why? Because of the A word, acclimate. That's what I have to do. I have to acclimate 
to the situation. I just can't run in and, <laughs> okay, let's sing. No, I want to settle in. So I'm actually, because I'm the pastor, there a lot earlier. But if I was a congregation member, I'd be there five or ten minutes earlier, sitting in my seat, acclimating, getting ready. So when the worship starts, boom, I am ready to go. You know why? That's God's time. See, when you do homage to God, you make it about Him and not yourself. You make it about God. So when we gather together, Sundays, Wednesdays, whatever times your church meets, you're doing homage to God. Now, different people worship God, and they grow in their faith in different ways. There's no best worship style, okay? Now, some churches say, we don't want instruments, especially drums, right? I say, okay. I've been in churches in Togo, West Africa, little hot churches, and all they had, believe it or not, was drums. I remember being in a church, and they had five guys playing five different kinds of drums, and they all sang to the drums. That was pretty cool. They didn't have other instruments. They didn't even have electricity. But they were just banging on those things. They had a beautiful rhythm going, and they were singing beautiful worship songs to honor God. So they had drums, but nothing else. They didn't have an organ. <laughs> they didn't have a guitar. They didn't have a piano. They didn't have anything, just drums. So some churches have a full band. That's okay. See, I believe whatever you do, it starts in the heart. What's the motivation? Why do we do what we do? I think in some places, some churches, it's more of a concert. If you can't hear the congregation singing, that's more a concert than it is worship. God loves our voices, and we should hear each other singing. That's so important. That's what worship really sounds like when you hear everybody singing together. So, because churches are multi-generational, for the most part, every generation is different, thinks differently, it views life differently, and it expresses itself differently. Just like we saw with cars and clothing and hairdos throughout the generations. So, here in our church, we have contemporary worship, but we always have a hymn. We always have a hymn. Because, number one, they're beautiful, they have great theology, and the older folks like the hymns because that's what they grew up with. So it's it's okay to meet people where they are. So not only is loving other generations through worship important, so is loving other generations through fellowship. And this is really what I want to speak about as well, that older folks can reach out to the younger folks in the church, talk to them, get to know them. Shake the hand of a teenager. Greet him or her in the congregation, in the hallway, in the lobby. See, the church is the place where we bridge the generational gap. And older folks need to embrace the younger folks and show them what Christ's love looks like. Don't be afraid of the teenagers. Don't be afraid of the young people. Embrace them. Bridge the gap. That's what's going to keep them coming back. They're going to come back because they feel accepted. Let's face it. They they think differently. They dress differently. 
their hairdos are different, but when the older generation embraces them and loves them, they feel welcome. And maybe that's the number one thing that brings people back, feeling welcome, feeling at ease, feeling wanted in a church. If they don't feel wanted, who who goes to a place where they're not wanted? Who's going to go back there? Nobody. So people of every generation, they deal with things that other generations know not of, right? So let's get to know each other. Spend time with people of different generations, different ages. Ask the teenager, what's it like being young today in this world? What's it like in school? Tell them what it was like in your day. How we used to walk to school three miles in the snow. <laughs> yeah, that story, that doesn't get old, does it? Doesn't get old. So think about bridging the generation gap, reaching out to others in the church, bridging that generation gap through fellowship, through worship, through being available to one another. I think it's so important. A healthy church is a welcoming church. Okay? It is. And if if visitors come to your church and they say, I just feel so welcome. Well, that's a good church. That's a healthy church. I, when I'm on vacation, I like to visit churches. And sometimes if I'm traveling on vacation... You know, I'll still visit churches, and I remember visiting a church a number of states away. I can't remember where it was, pretty far away. And um, I tried to get into the sanctuary, and there were greeters at the door. And they were so busy talking to each other, I had to, like, excuse myself so I could walk into the sanctuary. They completely ignored me, didn't greet me, because they were too busy with each other. And I'm like, excuse me, can I get in there. It's almost like I interrupted them. That's not a greeter. That's not greeters. Greeters embrace. Greeters welcome. Greeters, they're not there for them. They're there for the church, for the congregation, for visitors, for members. You got to have happy greeters. And you don't want greeters that look like they're baptized in lemon juice. You got to have greeters that are happy, that are outgoing, that love people. See, it's so important. That's how we bridge the gaps. And we need to do that. So we really need to make the young people, hey, if the young people don't feel welcome, guess what? The church is going to die. It's going to die. Everybody's going to retire. And there's going to be no one left to take over. And it's through embracing, I believe, that we can keep a church healthy embrace them, looking for young people, giving them responsibility, making the young people important. Say, hey, how'd you like to help out in this ministry? Help out in the fellowship room. Help out in the worship team. Help out ushering, greeting, whatever you can do. What do you like to do, young man, young lady? Let's get them involved. It's so important that they feel like, you know what? That's their church too. Everybody in church needs to feel like that's their church. And I know, I know if someone feels it's their church when they say to me, well, you know, in your church, that tells me it's not their church. But they, when they say, but you know, in our church, now that tells me, hey, this is their church too. And that's what we want. We want everybody to say in our church. So important. So you see the Christ life? Life in Christ means 
I'm not just available to people far from God and I'm ready to share the gospel with them and give them the good news of salvation, but I don't want to overlook my own church family and be available to them and nurture them and love them and embrace them and accept them. And if your church has a fellowship room, man, utilize it. That's one of the greatest strengths of a church, you know, the fellowship room where people can go in, have a cup of coffee, tea, whatever you do, doesn't have to be anything fancy, and people can connect. That's what it's about. It's about connections in the church, you know, just like the physical body, the knee bones connected to the thigh bone, the thigh bones connected to the hip bone, right? We used to sing about that when we were kids, but that's what makes the body. So we have connections in the local church. We are all members of the same body. Paul said, we're members one of another. We are all connected. So we have to express that connection by showing an interest in each other and really reaching out to the visitor, reaching out to the young people, to the teenager, hey, reaching out to the older folks. Imagine a church where everybody's reaching out to everybody. What a beautiful church. How beautiful that looks. And that's what God is looking for. He's looking for a church, just like God reached out to everybody. Jesus died for the sins of the world. So here's a congregation that reaches out to everybody, not just their friends, not just the ones they're comfortable with. Come out of your comfort zone and you, like the church is your house, and you greet people and you welcome them and you love them. Yeah, see the church like your home. When people come to your house, you open the door, come on in. How you doing? Have a seat. Want something to drink? Want something to eat? What's going on? It's your church. It's your spiritual house. So be relaxed and talk to people. Invite people into your conversation. It's fun to meet strangers and get their name. It might be uncomfortable, but you know what? Whatever you practice, you're going to get better and better and better at doing it. And it's for the betterment of the church as well. You want to grow a strong, healthy, loving church. That's what you want to do. I don't know, nothing too deep here today, just practical. Just practical to make our churches appealing so they don't die, so they grow and they flourish and they continue to bring the good news of Christ to the world. That's what we need to do, right? That's that's our mission, to bring the good news of Christ to the world. Want to hear it again? Go to the Hope Club podcast. It's there waiting for you. Check it out. Loving others through reaching out to them. <laughs>